All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Today we're going to be continuing our sermon series entitled Someone Else's Money. This began last week with Pastor Travis teaching. He taught on anxiety and money. It was a phenomenal sermon, and I highly recommend if you weren't here to hear it, go online and get it. It's very, very good. Today, I will be discussing stewardship as a way of life. And so uh, we're going to begin by looking at Matthew 25, if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. And what we're going to do first, though, is I want to start off with a, uh, a story. Now, this is a fictitious story, but one that I believe all fathers in the room will be able to empathize with, and everyone else who's had a father can empathize with as well. So that means all of us. So... A father and a son are, this is not my story, just so you know, because, well, actually probably is my story, but the father and son are driving together, they're going down the street, and all of a sudden he hears a little voice from the back of the car, Daddy, Daddy, let's stop and get some French fries. And, and, and the dad, like usual parents, you think through, okay, when did he last eat, and why is he hungry? Well, he's my son, he's always hungry, and so... I, Oh, I know why he's thinking that. He just saw those golden arches there, that, you know, that Pavlovian dog response that kids have when they see that. They want the Happy Meal. They want the French fries. They want more food. So, because my, sorry, this father, this father's wife is not in the car, of course the father stops and gets the son some French fries. The father orders, he brings the fries over, Sets them in front of his young son, and his young son begins to devour the French fries. Now the father loves this. He loves seeing his son happy, getting something he likes. He's not necessarily enjoying the seeing of the chewing of the French fries, but he's a young son, so we'll work on that for the future. But as the son is sitting there, and he's eating the French fries, the father does what fathers do. What do you think that is? Reaches over and tries to take a French fry, right? And as he does that, the son goes, No, Dad, those are mine. Now, the father realizes the son didn't get why it was that they stopped. Why it was that he gave him this, this big thing of French fries. Those great golden French fries that no matter how long you leave them out, never get stale. See, the son had forgotten the key point, which was the father was giving him all that he had. He gave him all the French fries. They didn't have to stop. They could have just gone straight home. I'm sure there were carrots waiting for him at home. But instead, the father gave him those French fries. And all the father wanted, because honestly, he didn't need a French fry. His waistline said, you don't need a French fry. But he wanted his son to show him that he understood the gift that he had been given, the love that the father had given him. And so the son missed that opportunity to do that. And that's really kind of our story when it comes to what the Lord has given us. The Lord has given us everything we have. And everything is His. And so, as we see this, honestly, what we wanted to, what the, what the father wanted to see was, sure, Dad, oh, I love that you gave me french fries. Here's one. Would you like two? How about some ketchup? Alright? Here's the biggest one. Not the smallest one, right? That's the response that would have matched the action that the father had done, which was, here son, let me give you something. So, 
the sermon series is someone else's money. Well, I kind of am breaking that mold and it's not about money. It's about everything. So we're going to talk about how it's someone else's everything today. So this is just more than money. So let's go ahead and start now in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. And Jesus says, For it will be like a man who going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. For who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also the one who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the servant of those masters came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, have five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And also, he who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have two made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I had not sown and gathered where I would scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so in order to understand this parable, we got to understand its place in the Bible. Because the very first line is, for it. For it. Now, if we just leave that hanging there, it doesn't really give us a picture of where Jesus is going with this. What is the it? He's explaining the it. So, if we go back earlier in Matthew, the it is the kingdom of God. This idea of God's people, us. In God's place, this world, under His rule, under His authority. A kingdom means that there must be a king. And we struggle with this idea of there being a king, don't we? I mean, we celebrate the, the, the revolution and down with the king, right? On the 4th of July, get rid of that king. We even don't even really have anything comparable when it comes to politics. Our presidents are gone after four or eight years. And even then, we're not subjects of the president. We're just citizens along with him. He's a fellow citizen or she. So the idea here is that there is a king and he is over us. He owns everything. And that's how we frame this entire parable. That's the, that's the, the paradigm we're working from. 
So we see there are four people in this parable. We see the master, two faithful servants, and one wicked, lazy servant. But really, there's just three roles. We've got the master, the good servants, and the bad servant. So there are three points to this sermon. And I'll say them now, and then I'll say them over again, uh, because repetition is what teachers do a lot of. First one, the mas- like the master, God entrusts all people with a portion of his resources, expecting us to use it faithfully. The second point will be the two faithful servants. Are, we're like the two faithful servants, God's people are to um, be commended and rewarded when they faithfully use God's stuff. And then last, like the wicked servant, those who fail to use God's gifts faithfully has given, him, given over to His service will be punished with separation and removal from all good things. So let's dig into who this master is. So our first point, God entrusts us with everything, expecting us to use it for His glory. All right. So really the key things, whether you got all my words there, is the idea that God entrusts us with stuff, expecting us to use it for His glory. So who is this Master? Well, it's clear that He's talking about God. Jesus is talking about God here. This Master is someone who's going to go on a journey. He is wealthy. He has so much wealth that He has servants. They refer to him as master, all three of them. They all are his servants. They all think they are his servants. So we're clearly talking about the triune God. We're talking about how God looks at this. Now, the idea of him going away might mean Jesus here. It might mean Jesus' resurrection and then ascension up to heaven. But either way, the picture is the master is coming back and he's going to ask, what did you do with my stuff? And remember, in the Bible, we're promised that when God comes back, it's not going to be when it's expected. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says it's like a thief in the night. So, the master's in charge, the master's coming back, but the master also has stuff, has lots of stuff, overwhelming amounts of property. So, it says he gave him talents. Now, it's really nice that God in his foresight made the Greek word talent, which is literally the word talent in Greek, That that translates right over to us. And we know we all have talents. However, that's not what that word meant back in the day. What it meant in this time was it meant weight. Like the weight of something. It's how they measured what people paid for stuff. And so a talent was a measurement of weight. So I looked it up and and did some study on what it was. And the Bible uh, commentators say, it's 6,000 denarii. And that clears it right up, doesn't it? Except for what is a denarii? Well, a denarii is a day's wages. So this is 6,000 days of, you know, 10 to 12 hours of pay. So there's some math that needs to be done here. This is somewhere in the neighborhood of $250,000 to $600,000. So that's a sizable chunk of change that this one talent is. Now the five talents is somewhere around 1.2 to 3 or so million dollars. This was more money than these people could spend in a lifetime. Maybe more money than we could spend in a lifetime. But we'd all probably volunteer to give it a shot, wouldn't we? So, $3 million, it's an outrageous sum. He gives it to them. Now, because of the fact that he leaves and goes on a journey, he didn't give them all his money. He just gave them some. This this rich man is Scrooge McDuckin' it, right? He's got more money than he knows what to do with, and he's giving it out to his servants. Now, the Bible makes it clear 
that just like this master, God is infinitely rich. Right? Now, not in the money and not in the, that, but, well, yeah, in the money, but in everything. Throughout the Bible, it makes it very, very clear. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's. Now, right there, he's already said everything he needs to say. But he also recognizes, we'd say, oh, that means the dirt, right? The psalmist goes on and says, oh, and everything in it. The world and everything living is mine. So that's everything. It's like, well, it's everything. Well, by everything, do you mean everything? Yes, everything is what the psalmist says. Deuteronomy, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it. Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 29.11, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Why? For everything in heaven and earth is Yours. Job 41.11, Everything under the heaven belongs to God. Psalm 50, one of my favorite. For every animal of the forest is Mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, the insects in the fields are Mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. So one author summarizes all of this and then the countless other passages. He says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign God over all, does not cry, Mine. Mine. And so when we start with this, this this Master owns everything. All of us. Our bodies, our minds, our souls... Everything is His. And that's the starting place of this psalm. So when we understand that and we look now at stewardship, stewardship is carefully and responsibly managing someone else's stuff. See, these bodies we have are on loan. They're they're a gift from God. God says, I'm going to give you this and you are going to now use it for my glory. Now, we may say, okay, yeah, I get it, you know, God owns all the dirt and He owns all the animals and I get all that, but He doesn't own me, right? I'm autonomous. I can do my own thing, you know, autonomous meaning my own law. And God goes, well, actually, no, that's wrong. And He makes it very clear. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Did you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Romans 14, 7 and 8. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. He makes it very clear. He says, you belong to me. You are mine. I own you. I own everything. Deal with it. The master calls his servants. He says, I'm going to entrust you with my fortune. So the master divvies out bits of his stuff to the servants. Because ultimately, God is the center of it all. He is the center of the universe. He's the only truly glorious being. And all things receive glory in their relation to him. So we're created to live in that. We're created to be glory mirrors of God. So our first point. God entrusts us with everything we have, expecting us to faithfully use it for His glory. So now we get to the servants. Who are these servants? Well, first of all, their sole identity, according to the passage, is the fact that they're servants. We get nothing else about these guys. 
We don't get, well, there's this guy named plumber, this plumber named Joe, and he works down the street on this street, and he's also a servant. We don't get, well, there's this school teacher over here, and his name's Phil, and, and he's a servant. We just get their servants. Because that's all that matters when it comes to their identity, is that they are servants of the one God. The master chose them and made them his servants. Now it says he gave them their talents based on their ability. Meaning, he knows them. He looks at them and he goes, yeah, I know that servant. And you know what? He's got some skills that I'm going to give him and abilities that I'm going to give him because I know him. So there's, there's, there's knowledge there. There's also love here. Alright? He loves us. He gives us what we need and he doesn't give us too much. He doesn't give us too little. He gives us what we need. There's love. There's care there. Remember the Bible in 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. So He gives us these abilities. Also supported throughout the Bible. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, For it is He, God, who gives you the ability to produce wealth. But I thought it was my high school diploma. I thought it was my, my degree. I thought it was my training school. I thought it was my hard work ethic. Well, yeah, but all of the ability to do that and the body in which does that is all gifts from Him. 1 Samuel 2.7, the Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and He exalts. So, these servants, they recognize the Master. They recognize His authority, but tragically, they don't know the Master and don't respond correctly to that authority. Because all three call Him Master. The faithful servants knew the Master and loved Him and wanted to make Him happy. The wicked didn't know him and did not know what to make, how to make him happy. So this is tragic, right? There's a servant that's been given a gift and he doesn't use it. This, this second, the, the third servant, the, the wicked servant is the climax of this parable. Maybe even the main point. So let's talk about the faithful servants. Faithful servants. Here's the point of the faithful servants. Faithfully using the gift of everything from the Lord will earn praise and reward. Faithfully using the gift of everything from the Lord will earn us praise and reward. So, as we look at these servants, notice in um, verse 16, it says, He who received the five went out immediately. He went out. He ran out. He couldn't wait to use the Master's gifts. Someone's given you a gift and you can't wait to go use it. Just like the Master who loved you and gave you the gifts, we are to use them out of love for the Master. While we're waiting for the Lord's return, we are to use the Master's gifts. Because we honestly don't know when that's going to be, do we? So we are given these talents. We don't earn them. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you? What did you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So each one is given an ability given gifts based on their ability. Now, it's easy for us to think, so I have to, I have all these things and then God comes in and gives me the talent. No, what God does is says, this is what you can handle. I'm going to give you the talents that you can handle. This word here that we translate as ability is the Greek word dynamis, which sounds a lot like dynamite because that's where it came from. It means power or capability. So the idea here is that God knows you. He knows what you can handle. And so He gives you talents based on that. And here's what happens sometimes, doesn't it? We look out around us and we say, well, I only got one talent. They've got five and they've got ten. Well, praise the Lord. He gave you exactly what you needed. Those people needed five. Those people needed ten. You needed one. 
And we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. 1 Peter 4.11 says, Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So you are responsible for living out and working out the opportunity that He gave you. So He creates you. He gives you your talents. Then He gives you the strength to use them. And then He gets all the glory. And in that process, our sole job is to submit and use the gifts. That's our part. He provides the strength. He provides the gifts. He provides the body. He provides the world. He gets all the glory. And see, what happens is, is we, do the, we do the opposite. We say, yeah, God made me. Yeah, God gave me all this stuff. But look at what I did. And ultimately, that's the wrong mindset. That's the wrong way to do it. That's not what these gifts are for. These gifts are to glorify the one who gave them to us. And again, our job is to, to use them. And that's our part. So, some have a little privilege um, and opportunity. Some have great. Ultimately, we need to be faithful in our opportunities. Whether you've been given five or you've been given one, you've been given. There's a gift there. You, you, you've been gifted something. So this, this, this second coming of Christ um, is going to be a time where the, 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 re, the real servants, the faithful servants, are separated from the false servants. And ultimately what's going to separate them is how they used these gifts. Their choice to use the gifts. He'll separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep will go in forever. Further up, further in. The goats will go out and never come in. So verse 20, we see the the first servant, he goes, Master, you delivered to me five talents. And I say that very excitedly because in the Greek, it's excitement. It's, look, 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 this is what I did. I love it when I come home and my kids go, Hey, Dad, look at this. Look what I did. Look what I built. Look what I drew. Look what I wrote. Hopefully it's not on the wall, right? It's not crayon on the wall. But even though that thing is not going to win any awards, it's not a Rembrandt, it's never going to be the most famous painting ever, to me it is precious. Because it's what they used the life that I had the, ple- you know, I had the privilege of bringing into this world with my wife and me. We have kids because the Lord gifted those to us. And I've received joy from that. That's a little sliver of what God gets when we go, look what I did, Lord. Look what I did with your gift through your power, through your strength. I decided to use your gift. And it's about being faithful. And I love the response. The response is, enter into the joy of your Master. Enter into the joy of your Master. Notice, this is the time that He says, I am yours. Where does that joy come from? It comes from having a closer relationship with your master. And that's, that's the reward. Not a stranger. Not somebody that is off, distant, whatever. He is your master. And notice that there's identical praise for both of the servants. Now why is that? I mean, one made five and one made two. I mean, I'm, I don't, I'm not a mathematician, but it seems like one did a lot better than the other. But in God's eyes, it's about being faithful. It's not about what you're able to accomplish or what He's able to accomplish through you. It's that you are faithful and that you use your gifts. You choose to use those. The servants are judged based on their faithfulness. Then the master says this wonderful phrase. He says, you've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of more. Now remember, this is millions and millions of dollars that they've given to him. That's just a little. That's not a drop in the hat. God's like, eh, millions of dollars. No big deal. 
I'll give you a lot more. How awesome a God we serve. Now this standing in front of God and giving an account of what we're doing is also throughout the Bible. Romans 14, for all will stand before God's judgment seat and give an account of themselves to God. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, moreover it is required of servants that they be found faithful. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily or faithfully as unto the Lord. So notice here that the command to do and the fear of judgment comes after He's chosen and loved us. We need, we need to get this in the right order. All right? we need, we, it's not, I go do it so then God loves me. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, God loved me, so I go do it. God has saved me. Done. It's completed. So therefore, I will serve Him. So what do we do to this love? Is it faithfulness? Or is it, God, get your own stuff. This is mine. Don't forget, He loved us. And if we love Him back, we will want to keep His commandments. John fourteen fifteen. One author said this, But if we've stored up our treasures in heaven, Christ's return will not take treasure from us, but bring treasure to us. Christ will turn the thief analogy on its head because the faithful believer will not become poorer when Christ returns, but immeasurably richer. So, faithfully using the gift of everything from the Lord will earn us praise and reward. So now we get into the wicked and the lazy servant. So the point of the lazy servant is that those who fail to use the gifts from the Lord will earn punishment and separation from God. Again, this is a tragedy here. An opportunity wasted. Now we we might think a couple different thoughts here. We might say something like, man, that servant had it easy. He only had one talent he had to worry about. That should be easy to double it and get another one. right? The guy with five, he had to figure out how to get five more. That's a lot harder. That's true. One is a lot less responsibility than the five. But remember, the one with five had the ability, the capability to handle the five. The one, you were given the one, you have the capability and the ability to do that. But I think probably our usual response is something more along the lines of, I only got one. What the heck? What am I going to do with one? I have this one talent and it's not even that good of a talent, Lord. Thank you. What can I do? And ultimately, this is envying those around us and going, I wish I had more like that. Doubt in the Lord's care for you. This shows an incorrect view that we are judged by what we do and how much we can make as opposed to the fact that the Lord gave it to us and we're to be faithful. I I do this in my life. I've been coaching football for a very long time. I've been a head varsity football coach for the last six years. And uh, my goal in coaching football was, you know, not to become a Super Bowl coaching phenom or something like that. But my goal was I wanted to use football to grow young men into or young men into men, men. Right. Um, and, and be able to give them an opportunity to have a father figure in their life um, as fallen as I am to hopefully point them to the ultimate father and to give them an outlet for aggression and things like that that don't involve going to jail. And that's why I do football. I kind of also like to win a game or two, you know. I mean, that's kind of, that's why you play the games, right? You don't just practice and be like, all right, no game. We play a game. We want to win. But unfortunately, in my my time as a coach, I haven't been able to come to have both at the same time. 
I have the lowest winning percentage in the 45-year history of my school. 22%. Right? I've had students ask me, hey, do you want to go coach somewhere else? And I'm like, yeah, I'll go coach wherever somebody will take me. I think the fourth grade team will love me. But see, that's the world's calculus, right? It's, well, if you don't have this many wins, you're out. If you don't have this successful a program, you're out. Same thing goes for churches, doesn't it? Don't have this many converts. But isn't it great that the Lord does not judge us based on what He does with our actions? He judges us on whether we're willing to do the action. And i got biblical proof for this. How about the prophet Isaiah? How many converts, how many people listened to him? Ten? Hundred? Thousand? Let's try zero. He was not a successful prophet in the world's eyes. He made it in the Bible, though, so there's hope for us, right? But understand that that's the world's thing. See, when we look at our one talent and we go, well, it's so little, we're forgetting who we're doing it for. We're forgetting the fact that we do little things as though they were great because God is great. Because His majesty comes through that little teeny thing. And the great God of the universe is going to use your little talent to show the great God of the universe through your little talent. That's awesome. And I love that. So this third servant, he again, he, he's, he's just like us. He tries to defend himself. And he goes, well, you know, ah, you know, Master, I knew you were hard. Um, I, knew, I knew you were ungracious. I knew... And he says a bunch of really nasty stuff about the Master, doesn't he? Well, you're kind of a jerk. You don't give out stuff. You, you, know, you, you reap where you don't sow. Yeah, you're kind of a tool. I don't like you. Had he truly known the Master and understood the gift that had been given to him, he would have been overwhelmed with love and wanting to use that gift for the Master. Instead, he has this caricature of the Master. Had he known the Master and that faithfulness was what he was after, he would have willingly loved him by using it. So this lazy servant is kidding himself. He does not know the Master. He says he's a servant. He even calls him Master. His goal is to serve. But ultimately, there's no fruit. Right? Remember the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 says, faithfulness is one of those things. This servant didn't have the fruit of faithfulness. The Lord had entrusted him with something and he didn't use it. And then attacking the, attacking the master's character shows he doesn't know him. And where this gets tough is that this servant is not an atheist. This servant is not someone on the outside of the church. This servant is not a Christ-hating, wicked person. This is someone sitting in a church saying, I am a servant. I recognize the Master. I'm here. He's not like the other people we see in parables, right? He's not the prodigal son who goes and wastes all of his, his money. And it's not somebody who's stealing from somebody. He is right there. He's right here. See, this is that lip service that we do so often. Yeah, God gave me this talent but I'm just going to use it my way. God gave me this stuff, but I'm just going to do my own thing. What good is it to say it's all His and then not act like it? I mean, He knows this, right? The, that the, the, the servant says, these are yours. Take what's yours. He recognizes the talents belong to God. But He's so unwilling to use them that it just really, it's, it's madness. God gave you talents for His glory 
and you're not willing to use them. He's not only that, but He's given you the power. The Holy Spirit comes into you and gives you the ability to use the talents for His glory. This is the sweetest deal. Tell you to do something, give you the talent, give you the power. All you got to do is say yes and go do it. But yet, just like this wicked servant many times, we don't. Now look at this. He characterizes this, characterizes the master, characterizes God as ungracious, unmerciful, lacking compassion, and reaping where he doesn't sow. Now, those four things obviously don't match up with the God of the universe, but who do they match up with? The servant. The servant's describing himself here. See, the servant has set up an idol. He set up a false god, and that false god is who? It's the servant. The servant is actually speaking truth here, except for he's got the wrong master. He's not talking about the real master. He's talking about who is his functional master. So this wicked servant who had gotten his talent for nothing he did, reaping where you didn't sow, come on, right, is going to blame the God of the universe and say, you are that, when in actuality, it's he is that. That wicked servant, that no submission, that glory hound of a servant, this God that He made, He's not even willing to worship anything but Himself in this. Because everybody worships something. And He ultimately, this servant is worshiping Himself. So, our point here, those who fail to use the gifts from the Lord will earn punishment and separation from God. So, there's a couple of lessons we can learn from this parable. And it's all about the servants and their interaction with, with, the, with the Master. So the first thing we can learn is that there is divided living and there's united living. The final servant has made a divided world. He's decided to say, this is my world. This is God's. God, you stay in your world. I'll stay in my world. He may give lip service to God's world, but ultimately he's saying, this is mine. I call dibs. There is no space for this kind of living in anything in Scripture. Because Scripture is based in reality, and this is non-reality. This is me saying, oh yeah, well, you know, I, I, you know, I made myself exist. I've given me all these skills. I decided where I was going to be born. I decided that I lived this long. I decided that, 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 and say, this is my world. And God's going, no, actually, it's all my world. So it's a lordship problem. It's not whether we believe in God. The servant knew the master was there. The servant understood the master had given him stuff. It's, what do we do with lordship? Who is our Lord? The question is not whether we believe in God as strongly in our earthly world, but who is Lord and Master here? As soon as we start building our own kingdom, we're just doing the same thing that our, our, our great, great, great mother and father did in Adam and Eve. Yeah, God, um, we're gonna, this will be ours. You get that part over there. Because see, ultimately, we're called to steward. We're called to manage God's stuff. You can't do that if you say it's yours. I don't get a paycheck and go, well, I've been given this paycheck for the work I accomplished. I'm going to steward it well for myself. You can't do that because it's managing somebody else. They're mutually exclusive. To own something and to steward or manage are two totally different things. So as soon as I say, this is my world, I can't steward it because it's mine. It's ownership. So who is the Lord of our world? Because ultimately, stewards are not owners, they're not lords. So we have to denounce this wicked, false idea that I have stuff that's mine. That I have a world that's mine. 
And it can't be a little bit that I hold for myself. It has to be all given back to the Lord. Because ultimately, when I carve my own world out, there's no freedom, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no meaning. I try to make my own meaning. I'm a terrible God. I'm a terrible Lord. You're a terrible God. Sorry. Can't do it. We need to have a united world that is back in touch with the reality that God is all in all. So that's our first thing. Second thing we can see is that God owns it all. You know, we're talking about money and and you're going to get a couple more sermons on this, some practical ones, a couple more foundational ones. It, It is about money. But money is a possession. It's about everything is God's. It belongs to Him. And once we get that in the right order, then everything else that we do is going to line right up. Because when we see that it's all His, then now I don't have claim to it and now it's not that hard to give up. It's not that hard to go without. It's not that hard to do this or that for the Lord. Because ultimately, stewardship is not a subcategory of being a Christian. Stewardship is the Christian life. It's all of the Christian life. One author writes, the concept of a godly steward is not an add-on to proper Christian teaching. Instead, it lies at the very heart. To be a Christian is to be a steward in the kingdom of the triune God of grace. So our foundation must be different than the world's. It's not have it your way, you're in control, you can do it. It's instead God's in control and all we must do is for God. This world is so vertically, so horizontally chaotic. We're competing with this and this person, this person gets that, so I don't get this and it's all this way. When in actuality, we need to live vertically. We need to live in the mindset that this all is the Lord's. This is not a work harder, try harder sermon. You need to get that. Remember, in Romans it says, it is before our master that he stands or fall. He will be upheld for the Lord is able to make us stand. Gives us the gifts. He gives us the strength to do it. Our job is to do it. Our job is to go forward in that strength. So now imagine what life would be like if every day was seen as an incredible gift from the Lord in which that gift was guaranteed to not just last for today, but forever. Eternal life is not starting in heaven. Eternal life starts now. We get to experience it and start it now and it lasts forever. Imagine what it would be like if we were so certain about tomorrow that you would invest every hour, be free to invest every hour of today doing what pleases God the most. As soon as we get that, it just frees us from the having to keep up and having to manage and so on. Imagine being so certain about who you are in God's eyes that you could give yourself away in service to others. Now, I said imagine. You don't have to imagine. You can do this. It's not only possible, it's our calling, it's our equipping, it's our capability as given to us by the Lord. So what do we do? How do we do this? First thing we do is we need to recognize that everything is God's. It's His. That's the first part. We, everything we have, our bodies, everything are His. Second, we need to repent of the pride of saying, I think I'm in charge, or I think I'm better than so-and-so, or they're better than me. We need to repent of all of that comparison and doubting the Lord's plan. And then we need to have trust in the Master. He knows what He's doing. He put us here for a reason. And isn't it interesting? This is a call for you in the room that know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. But it's interesting, it parallels the Gospel, doesn't it? Right? This is the gospel as we gospel ourselves over and over again. We have to repent of the fact. That's what we did originally. Repent of the fact that we're sinners. But we need to repent of the fact that we think 
This is my body and God's not in control. And then we need to trust Him. That's the believe part. We need to trust Him that He's got a plan and we're going to follow Him and He will implement it and be faithful in what we've been given. So, repent, believe, faithfully walk out and do it. Because ultimately, what scares me about this passage, and I think it probably scares you too, is what if I'm the wicked servant? What if that's me? How do I know? Well, the first thing, you need to recognize the master. And the wicked servant did that. But the next step is recognize everything belongs to him. And then I am held accountable for how I faithfully use it. He gives it. He empowers it. We get to go use it. So go and use your gift. That's what we're called to do. For his glory. For his kingdom. Now, you may say, okay, you know what? This has been, this has been fine. You, you, you've talked and you've waved your hands around and said some funny stuff. But what do we do if we don't know what our talents are? That's a very good question. There's a lot of people in this room that know you or would like to know you and they'll help you figure it out. Find godly counsel. Find someone who can help you figure out what your talent is. Now maybe you're like, I got talents, but I don't see any way that the Lord could use these talents. Yeah? Try them. Ask the Lord. Ask someone in this room. Ask someone that knows you. Ask a fellow believer. Find a pastor. Find an elder. Find someone and say, listen, I got this really odd talent that I know the Lord's given me. How can I use it for God's glory? You'll be surprised at how many opportunities there are out there to use that talent you've given you. Because the creative God who made every single animal, and if you've not watched Animal Kingdom things and seen videos of all the crazy animals He's come up with, I'm sure he's got at least a couple dozen ways for you to use your talent. Try him. Do it. Ask for help. Because ultimately, here's the freedom. The freedom is, he provided the gift, he's going to provide the success, you just have to be willing to let him do it. Now, there is one other group we need to address here as we close. We talked about the master, we talked about the faithful servant, and the wicked servant. There's another group here. And this is the group that is not a servant. Now, there may be some here in this room. We're glad you're here. What does it mean to be a servant of the Master? Well, it goes back to what I said everybody here needs to do, which is first, acknowledge there's a Master. And then second, repent. That's a churchy word, but it means turn and go the different direction. And recognize, I've been going this way with my life. Thanks be to God that Jesus came and died so I can go the right way and get back in touch with reality. And then believe. Trust the Lord. Put your faith in Him. I think later today we're going to be celebrating that exact act with baptisms here. That's what it is. It's the dying to your old self and rising again anew. You must be born again. Don't wait another day. If you're here and this is all new to you, don't leave this building without making a connection to your Lord, without repenting, without salvation visiting your house. Because we don't know. The, the Master's coming back. That's guaranteed. We just don't know when. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Son. Thank You for His incredible life that met the incredible requirements of the law for us. Not once did He sin. Not once did He fail. And then Lord, thank You for at the cross putting our failures, our sins, onto Him 
and switching, Lord, and giving us His righteousness and taking our unrighteous wretchedness and putting it on Him. It was an absolutely unfair, unequal trade. But Lord, it just shows how just and loving You are. How amazing You are. How gracious, merciful. Lord, we just don't have enough adjectives to describe how great You are. But Lord, we will spend eternity trying to come up with all of them. So Lord, I pray that today as we move out into our regular lives, as we leave this building, I pray that whether we're the faithful servant and we can be even more faithful, or if we're the unfaithful servant and we're now going to acknowledge You as Lord and repent and, and be the faithful servant with Your strength, or maybe today, Lord, someone has decided to give up and, and allow the call that You have on their life to take hold and you become their master. I pray that that would spill out into our lives as we move out into our work day, our school days, our whatever we have coming our way, Lord. Lord, thank you for being a God, a God that cares for us and loves us. We humbly offer our, our continued worship and our lives to you. In your exalted name, amen.